Chapter Six of Characters of Shakespeare's Plays by William Hazlitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Timon of Athens. Timon of Athens always appeared to us to be written with as intense a feeling of his subject as any one play of Shakespeare. It is one of the few in which he seems to be in earnest throughout, never to trifle nor go out of his way. He does not relax in his efforts nor lose sight of the unity of his design it is the only play of our author in which spleen is the predominant feeling of the mind it is as much a satire as a play and contains some of the finest pieces of invective possible to be conceived both in the snarling captious answers of the cynic apomantis and in the impassioned and more terrible imprecations of timon the latter remind the classical reader of the force and swelling impetuosity of the moral declamations in juvenile while the former have all the keenness and caustic severity of the old stoic philosophers the soul of diogenes appears to have been seated on the lips of epimantus the churlish profession of misanthropy in the cynic is contrasted with the profound feeling of it in timon and also with the soldier-like and determined resentment of alcibiades against his countrymen who have banished him though this forms only an incidental episode in the tragedy the fable consists of a single event of the transition from the highest pomp and profusion of artificial refinement to the most abject state of savage life and the privation of all social intercourse the change is as rapid as it is complete nor is the description of the rich and generous timon banqueting in gilded palaces pampered by every luxury prodigal of his hospitality courted by crowds of flatterers poets painters lords ladies who follow his strides his lobbies fill with tendons rain sacrificial whisperings in his ear and through him drink the free air more striking than that of the sudden falling off of his friends and fortune and his naked exposure in a wild forest digging roots from the earth for his sustenance with a lofty spirit of self-denial and bitter scorn of the world which raise him higher in our esteem than the dazzling gloss of prosperity could do he grudges himself the means of life and is only busy in preparing his grave how forcibly is the difference between what he was and what he is described in Epimantus's taunting questions when he comes to reproach him with the change in his way of life what thinkest thou that the bleak air my boisterous chamberlain will put thy shirt on warm will these moist trees that have outlived the eagle page thy heels and skip when thou pointest out will the cold brook candied with ice coddle thy morning taste to cure thy overnight surfeit call the creatures whose naked natures live in all the spite of reekful heaven whose bare unhoused trunks to the conflicting elements exposed answer mere nature bid them flatter thee the manners are everywhere preserved with distinct truth the poet and painter are very skilfully played off against one another both affecting great attention to the other and each taken up with his own vanity and the superiority of his own art shakespeare has put into the mouth of the former a very lively description of the genius of poetry and of his own in particular a thing slipped idly from me our poesy is as a gum which issues from whence tis nourished 
the fire in the flint shows not till it be struck our gentle flame provokes itself and like the current flies each bound it chafes the hollow friendship and shuffling evasions of the athenian lords their smooth professions and pitiful ingratitude are very satisfactorily exposed as well as the different disguises to which the meanness of self-love resorts in such cases to hide a want of generosity and good faith the lurking selfishness of apamantus does not pass undetected amidst the grossness of his sarcasms and his contempt for the pretensions of others even the two courtesans who accompany alcibiades to the cave of timon are very characteristically sketched and the thieves who come to visit him are also true men in their way an exception to this general picture of selfish depravity is found in the old and honest steward flavius to whom timon pays a full tribute of tenderness shakespeare was unwilling to draw a picture all over ugly with hypocrisy he owed this character to the good-natured solicitations of his muse his mind was well said by ben jonson to be the sphere of humanity the moral sententiousness of this play equals that of lord bacon's treatise on the wisdom of the ancients and is indeed seasoned with greater variety every topic of contempt or indignation is here exhausted but while the sordid licentiousness of epimantus which turns everything to gall and bitterness shows only the natural virulence of his temper and antipathy to good or evil alike timon does not utter an imprecation without betraying the extravagant workings of disappointed passion of love altered to hate epimantus sees nothing good in any object and exaggerates whatever is disgusting timon is tormented with a perpetual contrast between things and appearances between the fresh tempting outside and the rottenness within and invokes mischiefs on the heads of mankind proportioned to the sense of his wrongs and of their treacheries he impatiently cries out when he finds the gold this yellow slave will knit and break religions bless the accursed make the whore leprosy adored place thieves and give them title knee and approbation with senators on the bench this is it that makes the wapened widow wed again she whom the spittle-house would cast the gorge at this embalms and spices to the april day again one of his most dreadful imprecations is that which occurs immediately on his leaving athens let me look back upon thee o thou wall that girdlest in those wolves dive in the earth and fence not athens matrons turn incontinent obedience fail in children slaves and fools pluck the grave wrinkled senate from the bench and minister in their steads to general filths convert o the instant green virginity do it in your parents eyes bankrupts hold fast rather than render back out with your knives and cut your trusters throats bound servants steal large-handed robbers your grave masters are and pill by law maid to thy master's bed thy mistresses are the brothel son of sixteen pluck the lion and crutch from thy old limping sire and with it beat his brains out fear and piety religion to the gods peace justice truth domestic awe night rest and neighbourhood instructions manners mysteries and trades degrees observances customs and laws decline to your confounding contraries and let confusion live 
plagues incident to men your potence and infectious fevers heap on athens ripe for stroke the cold sciatica cripple our senators that their limbs may halt as lamely as their manners lust and liberty creep in the minds and manners of our youth that gainst the stream of virtue they may strive and drown themselves in riot itches blains sow all the athenian bosoms and their crop be general leprosy breath infect breath that their society as their friendship may be merely poison timon is here just as ideal in his passion for ill as he had before been in his belief of good Apomantus was satisfied with the mischief existing in the world and with his own ill nature one of the most decisive intimations of timon's morbid jealousy of appearances is in his answer to Apomantus, who asks him what things in the world canst thou nearest compare with thy flatterers timon women nearest but men men of the things themselves Apomantus, it is said loved few things better than to abhor himself this is not the case with timon who neither loves to abhor himself nor others all his vehement misanthropy is forced uphill work from the slippery turns of fortune from the turmoils of passion and adversity he wishes to sink into the quiet of the grave on that subject his thoughts are intent on that he finds time and place to grow romantic he digs his own grave by the seashore contrives his funeral ceremonies amidst the pomp of desolation and builds his mausoleum of the elements come not to me again but say to athens timon hath made his everlasting mansion upon the beached verge of the salt flood which once a day with his embossed froth the turbulent surge shall cover thither come and let my gravestone be your oracle and again alcibiades after reading his epitaph says of him these well express in thee thy latter spirits though thou abhorrest in us our human griefs scornst our brains flow and those are droplets which from niggard nature fall yet rich conceit taught thee to make vast neptune weep for aye on thy low grave thus making the winds his funeral dirge his mourner the murmuring ocean and seeking in the everlasting solemnities of nature oblivion of the transitory splendor of his lifetime end of timon of athens 